Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Monday. Happy Monday, June 18, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, welcome to the show. We're glad to have all of our loyal listeners as well as our new listeners joining us. And in fact, I'll even uh, put the promo in right at the top. If you are a new listener, um, you'll find out pretty quickly that this is a fun show. And it's a show where there's a lot of interesting conversation going on and lots of reasons to listen. That's why our listeners are so loyal. Um, But uh, you'll want to take a look at the homepage of LOAToday.net and see how to become a subscriber because it's free to do and all the instructions are right there. It takes about a minute. And the reason you want to do that is the same reason why our other subscribers do it, because they listen to about 30 to 45 episodes a month, which means they really, really like it. And uh, Wendy, you and I were talking before the show about what the difference is between our podcast and other podcasts. I, I think we identified it. People like ours because we don't preach. We don't say, this is what you must do with the law of attraction. We say, hey, let's talk about this stuff. This is cool stuff. Have you figured this out? I haven't figured that yeah. out. Have you figured that out? Because I I listened to another Law of Attraction podcast because I was actually looking for ours um, because I have a new cell phone, so I had to download a new (laughs) app. It's a new toy, You know, and I'm like, (laughs) you know, I don't think about others as competition. I love knowing that there's a lot out there on the Law of Attraction. You know, that just makes me feel great. So I was listening to some other podcasts, you know, different uh, people who do, you know, speak on the subject. And this one um, ranks really high on Google and, you know, it's got quite a few uh, podcasts, so, uh, somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes each. But each one I listened to, it was like, okay, here's the 20 things to do to do this. And here are five <laughs> things not to do here. And I don't know if he's reading, like he wrote a script and he's reading it, because um, it didn't sound very, I mean, it, it it can't be conversational if you're by yourself, but True. it could be a li- have a little bit more uh, free-flowing feeling. Um, but I really felt like he was just telling people, here's what to do. And I got to tell you, it was really laced with his opinion about how to do things. Of course. Or, or what his preferences were, but he was saying it as though this is what you ought to be doing. Oh, yeah. Um, And this is just my opinion. I'm happy on our show to share, here's what I do, but I don't want to tell anybody else that it's right for them because each one of us is so unique and our inner beings are going to give us the guidance if we have any question about, is this appropriate for me or is it not appropriate for me? Um, But I think that's laced in our whole society where even if we think that we're giving pure information, oftentimes people are not always recognized recognizing that they've been subject to the default thinking of socialization and it's actually filtering through their conversation. So I just found that very interesting as I went and was listening to some others. And, um, you know, he had great, great stuff to, to talk about. I just was very aware when I'm like, yes, that's a law of attraction principle or, it could be a law of attraction principle <laughs> that works for you specifically, That's possible. <laughs> but that sure. one doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. you know, so. Well, no, it's true. Anyway. It's very true. And, and, you know, to each his own. Everybody has their own way of presenting this stuff. I mean, to be perfectly honest, our topic, the law of attraction, is usually lumped in with self-help. So, you know, what, what's self-help about? Most often it's about, well, here's what you want to do if you want to, you know, get rid of corns, if you want to, you know, make lots of friends, if you want to, you know, whatever it is. It's always, here's the steps. You do step one, you do step two, you do step three. You know, we aren't a, a three-step process. We're, we're like, hey, what's going on today? But nevertheless, mm-hmm. that's the group that we're lumped in with. So I can't say it's terribly surprising. But I would also mm-hmm. say I love the way we do it because the way we do it is fun. It's interesting. It's, it constantly <laughs> changes. It shifts around. Sometimes, sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we're off in left field. Sometimes we're just having a good time, you know? Well, you're totally biased. I'm totally biased. Because it's your show. You created it. And, of course, you created what you love. That's the way we do things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us different. That was, that's what makes us fun. I think we're fun. And I, uh, clearly our <laughs> listeners do too. That I mean, They keep listening. I yeah. mean, you can't make and, a listener listen. You can try, but it doesn't work real well. <laughs> well, you know, and everything that uh, comes around in our world, if you're really paying attention to um, how you feel, you'll know what feels good to you. And you'll be gra- you'll 
gravitate towards it. And that's what you will want to do more of. Um, like I was, uh, I was going through my inbox today, kind of cleaning it out. And there was this really cool archetype quiz by one of the people that I, I belong to her email list. And I found a lot of benefit in taking her quiz and then finding out what my archetype was. And I really resonated with what was said. Now, what's fascinating is the computer system accidentally sent me an email for every single one of the archetypes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which I think how I co-created that is because whenever I take these kinds of quizzes, I've always had a wonder. So if I were a different one of, you know, if like there's five different possibilities, could I read any one of them and go, yeah, that's me? You know, it's like, are we just subject to, we, we like to take these little quizzes and tests and we like to self-identify, you know, our personalities or whatnot. So it was cool because I read all five different archetypes and I totally did not resonate with the other four. <laughs> the one that was me is one I really did resonate with. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I was thinking about this, about one of my friends, and I thought, you know, I wonder if this was would be something that she'd be interested in because she's trying to identify, she's making big shifts in her life. Mm. And I thought, I wonder if this could be helpful. So I, you know, uh, forwarded it to her and I just said, hey, something that you may want to take a look at, it might give you clarity. If not, no biggie, you know, whatever resonates with you is cool. Well, she took the quiz. She called me on the phone immediately and said, oh my God, this is exactly what I was looking for. Oh, nice. She said, I knew it was because as I was reading through, I found this one paragraph and I burst into tears <laughs> because I so resonated with this one element of understanding that I hadn't been allowing myself to really let in. Hmm. And so she, you know, called to thank me. But that brings me to the point of what resonates yeah. with us. Oh, yeah. Because... Her, she had a different archetype than me, and I had just finished reading her archetype, and as I was reading through, I'm going, nope, not me, nope, not me, nope, not me. But it so touched her. Mm. And it's like when we really pay attention to how we feel, we connect to what our inner being is wanting to provide to us as guidance. And so there, I, I believe that the people that tune into our podcast are getting a sense of, oh, this feels good when I listen to it. Oh, yeah. And when they get that feeling, that's their inner being. That's their guidance, letting them know there's something here for them. That's a good you point. Know? Yeah, that's a very good point. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it would have to be because if you like something, that's your inner being agreeing with you or you agreeing with it, depending on your perspective. But yeah, absolutely. It makes well, sense. And I, just in the last couple of weeks, I've been really curious about other people's podcasts, not just in the um, area of law of attraction, but other things that are of interest to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of like doing some scouting because I thought, well, this is kind of good research because this may be how some of our podcast listeners find us. They're just sure. out there scouring and doing some searching and you know, I have found some that I, I've really resonated with and I like have binge listened, you know, one after another after another. And there's some I listen to 10 minutes and I go, oh, no, this, this almost makes my skin crawl. It's like, no, this is not <laughs> a particular leader I want to listen to. You know, and that's all about resonance. What's the, what do you feel good versus what does not feel good? And it's pretty obvious when you start to really pay attention to your feelings. Very good. Yeah, I like yeah. that. That's that. It's right on. And, and the simple fact is that when people listen, they listen primarily. I don't care what they're listening to, law of attraction or anything else. They're listening primarily because they want to enjoy it or they do enjoy it. Otherwise, it why, why would they even bother? Okay. You know, you, there's, exactly. just no, there's just no point. So that that's why I love our listeners so much. Not only are they fascinating people because we've talked to some of them, but they're also very discerning and they really love listening. And, and we know that just because of the number of podcasts that they download and listen to every month. So, you know, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, they're my heroes. <laughs> they're, the, <laughs> they're really wonderful people. You know, they're, they're listening to us. They, they, they take the time out of their day to listen to what we have to say about, you know, whatever topic we're talking about related to the law of attraction. That's so fabulous. 
That's so fabulous. Well, you know, I just once, love that. once upon a time, you told me when you started this podcast, you didn't have any listeners. Zero. Yeah. But you, you did it because it was something you enjoyed. Exactly. But I would imagine, and you can confirm this or not, that now that we do have quite a few listeners and repeat listeners, um, I would imagine that would make you feel especially good. Exactly. And where yeah. before it was something you did because you loved it. So how does how has that shifted now for you? It hasn't so much shifted as added to. I still love it. I still love doing it. That part hasn't gone away. The added bonus, the added benefit is now we have listeners who love listening to it. So mm -hmm. the way I look at it, it's the joy spreading. You know, I had joy by doing the, the first ones myself. Myself and my wife did some of them with me. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law even did a couple. And then I started interviewing other people. I met Joel. Um, got onto PRN and it just kept snowballing and every step of the way, the joy kept increasing as I got better at doing it. The joy increased as, as Joel and I did more shows together and we got, you know, we figured out where we agreed and, and where we sometimes rubbed uh, the wrong way and so forth. The joy increased there too. As we got feedback from people, the joy increased, the joy keeps increasing. And, and so it's not like one or the other. It's the whole thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the way I feel about it. Very, very cool. <laughs> so how has you been? How, how's your weekend been? You had a good one, I presume, because you were really cheery when we I got did. on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did have a really good weekend. Um, not that there was anything specific that I did or didn't do that made it better than any other weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, knowing that I was going to be on vacation this week, it, it kind of gives me a different level of freedom. Oh, yeah. Um, and how I just feel in general. But um, I will say that ever since I started watching this, this series called Drain the Ocean, it is really expanding my connection to the planet that we're on in a way that I've never experienced. Because Drain the Ocean is based on the science that now these scientists and oceanographers have to be able to, through sonar, map out the topography of what's under the water. And I have been amazed at learning how there are live volcanoes that have been erupting for years and decades and decades under the water, adding to and changing the topography, not to mention there are what are the word tectonic plates mm -hmm. that keep shifting. And when I heard them say um, these two plates are shifting at approximately one inch a year, I was thinking to myself, big deal. What's an inch a year? <laughs> and then I did the math. And I kind of like, okay, so if a person lives to 100, in their lifetime, these plates will have shifted 100 inches. Mm -hmm. Well, 100 inches is like over nine feet. True. And I'm like, wow, that's really big. And it's like, I'm just really connecting to the fact that our earth is alive. It's not stagnant. Just because my lawn looks stagnant, like it's just dirt with grass on it. <laughs> it's not. I mean, our whole earth is amazingly in motion and breathing and living and doing all sorts of things. And that has shifted my perspective of how I connect to all that is. And I realize I'm a part of that living, breathing earth. I used to just think of the earth as a thing, you know, and like every now and then I'd pay attention to what's going on if there's something happening, you know, a volcano or a tsunami or whatever. But this is just really opening up my, I want to say my inner eyes, not my physical eyes, but mm -hmm. my inner eyes. And I'm feeling connected to so much more. And it's, it causes me to realize that on one level, I'm so much more than I thought I was because I'm connected to this incredible earth. And on another level, it's making me feel very small in comparison to the bigness of our earth. Mm. And so it's just been really cool. And, you know, that's something I, I've, I have focused on this weekend and it has put me in a state of awe and, um, I want to say a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about this and you asked me something like, well, what do you really want? 
And I was like really caught off guard, like, oh, wow, hmm, that's not the question the coach normally gets. Normally, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. the one asking <laughs> the question of the client. Yeah. And I kind of said, I want to be more in awe. You know, I, I want to just be more connected. And I'm realizing because of your question and then because I answered it, I'm seeing that manifest in my life. I mean, it's not even like I put out any big like, I'm going to manifest this way of feeling. It, I just said it to you. Right. No, Almost remember. like a passing by comment. And yet it's really exciting to recognize how this mechanism called the law of attraction has so beautifully introduced different programming and different things into my awareness so that I can feel this sense of awe because I love it. It feels so good. It's like when you are in front of a sunset that has a magnificent array of colors that takes your breath away. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now in terms of thinking about myself connected to the planet and the universe. It feels awful. Okay, that was the wrong word. <laughs> I it understand feels what you mean, though. Filled with awe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm wondering, what is the word awful? What's its origin? <laughs> yeah, well, if you look at the etymology of that one, you'll find it's a little different from what you think. But oh, I, I have a question for you. I, I have a question for you. Um, you you mentioned the the appreciation of how you know how much you are learning to appreciate and to really feel in awe about the planet, the livingness of the planet, you know, how everything is alive and how everything is moving and evolving and so forth. And it makes me wonder, are you connecting this in some way to what Abraham talks about when they say source energy is in everything, even in the things? Um, perhaps. Um, I don't know that I necessarily went there, but I've kind of always had, like when Abraham talks about that, I've kind of, I, for a long time, I've already felt like I understood that concept. Oh, okay. um, but it was more of a concept on my mental shelf. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I'm having more of an experiential um, sensation of this sense of awe with all that is. So you're kind of filling it out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I believe... Ultimately, we're, because we are connected to everything, you know, we're connected to source energy. We are source energy. Um, the part of us that is not physical is part of source energy. Um, I think of us as like, um, uh, if you think of a big spacecraft, you know, when you think of sci-fi programs and then somebody goes out to uh, kind of do an investigation and they go out in a pod mm -hmm. like spaceship, right. I feel kind of like I have been in my pod spaceship as a physical human being um, where I'm not, I'm in my own little space. That's what physicality is for me. But it's like the mothership is my inner being. It's my source energy. And I'm, I'm connected to that as well. I can always radio back, you know, if I need to. <laughs> um, but source energy is all of us. Our non-physical beings are all part of the connection. We're all connected to source energy. And so, you know, when you think about how many years old the earth may be, and we were a part of its creation, uh, I'm, ju I'm just enamored. Mm. It sounds know? like it. I mean, and I mean you, the awe is coming through in what you're saying. So that makes, yeah, that makes sense. You've connected emotionally, and that's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that, like, I've heard about, and like I said, it's been on my mental shelf, but I've been unpacking it and really, like, looking at it and paying attention to it, and you're right, I've emotionally connected. Yeah, that's great. That stuff now, and it's feeling just really juicy, and it's making my life feel fuller and richer. Great. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's one of the best ways to get to that state of of you know high vibration state of joy to find ways to make your life richer wow when you do that mm -hmm. you're going to be there you're going to feel good because you're liking what you're doing i'm liking what i'm doing i'm yeah. liking what i'm thinking about yeah. i'm liking what i believe because yeah. it's feeling really good to me you know 
and clients come to me because they don't feel good and we want to shift that. You know, I go to my, my coaching friends for the same reason, but to be able to say I'm in a state of awe, I'm not needing to change this one. This right. is good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're I already there. Continue to expand. Yeah. So it's almost like it's one more arrow in your quiver. Like here's one more way to get myself into that really good feeling place whenever I want to. I just, I just have to think about this cause I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I have That's to say, how my weekend went. Thank yeah, you I have very to say that was a good weekend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my own weekend was huh. pretty good, too. Louise and I went up to, I told David about this on Sunday, but she and I went up to uh, the middle of Vermont, about halfway up to the Canadian border, uh, a town called Woodstock. And Woodstock is kind of smack dab in the middle of all the ski mountain areas. Um, but it's also a kind of an upscale, um, just a nice New Englandy kind of environment. And she had seen it on a Samantha Brown uh, broadcast. You know who, who Samantha Brown is, the travel person? She does these travel mm -hmm, shows. She did them for many years. She kind of dropped out in the last few years to have a family, and now she's back doing it again on PBS. But uh, she had she's traveled all over the world, but lately she's been doing stuff around the United States. And Louise had seen one of the shows that she had done where she had visited Woodstock, Vermont, and talked about this one really neat restaurant that she went to that was on a small um, man-made waterfall, really, um, part of a, a, a river that had been dammed up and turned into a hydroelectric for powering the area. It was uh, basically used previously as, I think, as a mill back in the 19th, early 20th centuries. And then that uh, factory was abandoned, and then it was bought up by a guy who's a glassblower. And he set up a glassblowing operation and funded it with the dam and with this restaurant he put up there. And he has a gift shop for the stuff that he, he and his crew make in their, in their glassblowing works. So it's this nice little thing they have going on there. Very unique, very New Englandy. It's right on this little uh, river that's got the dam and, and there's a, a, a covered bridge going across. I mean, it's all, it's got a very heavy New England feel to it. Um, really, really pretty, very picturesque. So we decided to go there for lunch. And... Uh, we had two really distinct things happen. The first was we got up there and found that there was a fair going on right next door to where this thing is. So there was no parking to be had anywhere. And we managed, despite all that, at the last gasp effort to, to manifest a parking spot about a block from the place, which was pretty darn good considering. So that was very good. And then we went into the restaurant. And now in order to get there from where we had parked, you had to cross the covered bridge, which was, of course, very picturesque. And we're, we're, we actually stopped in the middle and we're admiring the, the, the scenery and so forth. It's just a gorgeous scene. And we're thinking, wow, you know, we're, we're going to be eating in a restaurant. You can look out in the water and how great it would be to actually be looking around the waterfall and so forth. We go into the restaurant and it's Father's Day, right? So, you know, there's plenty of people out right. uh, having having lunch and so forth. And we go to uh, the, the hostess uh, counter there and Louise says, uh, any chance we might be able to get the table by the water? And the hostess looks around and says, oh, yeah, sure, and leads us over to the absolute best table with the best view Oh, nice. <laughs> right on the corner, <laughs> right on top. With Everything was right in front of us. It was like they couldn't have given us a better table in the place. And it, it was just, you know, it was amazing. So that was really good. And we just we were there for like an hour and a half just enjoying the view, enjoying the atmosphere, having some really good food, and it was very tasty. And it was just delightful. It was just a delightful experience. And then and after that, we spent some time driving around uh, Vermont and just enjoying rural New England in its splendor. And it was full of splendor yesterday, that's for sure. So, With, with the exception of the season, that sounds so like the movie White Christmas. It does, that's yes. About, that's out Vermont, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this is New England in the spring. I mean, we're, uh, June is a spring month officially, and it, it is in, in uh, New England. I mean, it was warm for sure, but not as warm as it is in other parts of the country. Um, I think the high was like, well, it was pretty warm. It was about 88 or something like that. But uh, warm. But, but it was comfortable. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, the beating down heat, like, oh, God, I don't know if I can tolerate this. It wasn't that at all. It was very pleasant. So, yeah. Beautiful. Cool. Just a great time. Very cool. So you and I both had great weekends. Well, I hope our listeners had some weekend um, falderal that gave them joy and excitement. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I hope so. I'm, I'm sure many of them did. We may even hear from some of them on you know Facebook or something, or they'll send us an email. They do that from time to time. <laughs> Very nice. Very cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So what do we have today in our book? 
Oh, we're uh, we're still doing the Law of Attraction, the basics of the teachings of Abraham, of course. And uh, we, we're working through that section where Jerry's been asking all his toughest questions. You know, he he asked about the uh, you know the, the extreme examples and oh, what about this and what about that and so forth. And uh, we're on. But you on... know what? And that that to me is like I like that he does that. Oh yeah, because really? I know when I've talked to people who've like never heard of Law of Attraction, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. ask me about it, and I start to explain it, it is inevitable sure. that they will say, "Well, what about?" And whatever they they have at the end of that sentence, it's like the most extreme circumstances. Oh, of course. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that Jerry goes off goes off to those really extreme things and and asks the really tough questions so that Abraham can answer them. Yeah, he didn't pull any punches. Yeah, he didn't pull any punches at all. He he was absolutely wanting to get at the root and the core of it. And, you know, if if it meant asking questions that were tough to answer, well, too bad. These are questions that are tough to answer. Deal with it, Abraham. And Abraham did really (laughs) well, actually. (laughs) So anyway, the particular subtopic we're on is entitled, What About When Sexuality Becomes a Violent Experience? Which is a very serious situation. Jerry says... Another area that I felt some discomfort with would be morality relating to sexual practices. I've now reached the point of allowing others to have their sexual choices, but I still feel uncomfortable when someone uses force against another person in any area. Is there a point, again, that I can get to so that whatever they do, whether one uses force or not, it won't affect my thinking? And Abraham says, no matter what the subject is, it is important to understand that there are no victims. There are only co-creators. You are all, as magnets, attracting unto you the subject of your thought. And so, if there is one who gives much thought to, or one who speaks much about rape, then it is very likely that they will be the victim, by your words, of such an experience. Because by law of attraction, or I'm sorry, because by law, you attract unto you the essence of that which you give thought to. As you give thought, feeling emotion, you launch your creation, and then you expect it into your experience. And so there are many who launch creations that they do not actually receive in their experience because they only do half of the equation. They launch it by giving thought, even emotional thought, but then they do not expect and so they do not receive. This is true of the things that you do want as well as the things that you do not want. So they're being very consistent in their answer. And once again, it's an answer that, that doesn't always satisfy people. Some people, that they have a little trouble with it. But it's it's consistent. And the consistency actually provides a bit of stability, I think, in an area that is, you know, touchy for many people. Well, and so, you know, in the, the very last part of this, um, paragraph, they're talking about, like, what's the difference between those that do experience sexual violence versus those that don't? Because both sets of people might launch it by giving it thought and even emotional thought. But the ones that don't have an expectation for it don't receive it. So on the flip side, let me go see if I can find the sentence. Okay, they said, because by law, you attract unto the essence of that which you give thought to. Well, okay, that still doesn't give you everything. As you give thought, okay, here it is. The ones that experience the violence, they give thought to it. They feel it emotionally. Then they expect it. So I guess it's the expectation piece that's the differentiator between having something come into your experience versus not. That And that's controversial for many people, I think. Uh, how can you expect it? Who would expect to be so badly treated? That would be the first reaction people would have. So I guess let's talk about when Abraham's saying expect, what is it that they really mean by ex- expecting? Okay. How do we expect something versus we don't expect it? So... We can all have a thought. We can feel the emotion of the thought. But, you know, then if you drop it right after that and you don't give it any more thought, it kind of dies on the vine, if you will. But my my educated guess 
is that what they're saying in the case of something that's violent like this and something unpleasant is that there becomes a fear. So it's like somebody thinks about it and they emotionally feel, you know, this thing, you know, like rape. But then if somebody starts thinking about it for so long with intensity and they start being afraid of it, the fear of it, I think, actually is the expecting piece. And most people, I don't think, would call it that. But I, I that's just what I'm thinking right now. What do you mm -hmm. think? I think there's something to that. I think also the argument could be made on the flip side that many people, perhaps even most, depending on who's going to make the argument, uh, many people don't have an expectation that they're going to get raped. They, you know, they certainly weren't spending time you know, thinking they're going to get raped. Maybe there are some who do, but I, I'll bet you that people could produce examples of of vic victims who said, you know, I, well, I was never thinking I was going to get raped. And And you know what? I think that could actually be true. The question that I would want to have answered, and I'm not sure that you could ever get a straight answer on this, but nevertheless, it's the question I'd want to have answered is, what was their predominant state of mind ongoing? Because I have noticed that when I hear the often very tragic stories of people who were attacked, who, um, if, if, you, if you can get past the immediate story of the attack, and learn more about what goes on in their lives and what their interests are and so forth, there's often a parallel emotional experience that comes out. And by parallel, I mean there there is a similar level of fear. I think the word fear you used was very accurate. I thought that was really good. I think that fear plays larger or smaller roles in various people. And there are some people who, I mean, they're, they're so security conscious they're so tremendously security conscious, and what that translates to is, on on some subconscious or hidden level, some level they don't talk about much. They're afraid most of the time. The only person who's really who, the only person who's really interested in security all the time, other than a security company, somebody who's a security professional, is someone who's living in fear. So, and that like that doesn't get example, addressed really. But you know, sorry. So if somebody grew up with. Uh, a level of violence because there was a lot of yelling and screaming and they mm -hmm. maybe witnessed, you know, their parents hitting each other or they witnessed um, one of the parents abusing one of the kids or slapping them around or anything that could be interpreted as feeling, c causing the child to feel a sense of um, uh, unsafe that they felt they needed to be protected because they didn't know if the next slap might come their way or, you know, whatever the circumstance might be. Or there could even be sexual abuse in the home. Mm, sure. um, or, or somebody could have witnessed sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. All of those things are quite traumatic as a child, especially. Um, or you could grow up in a neighborhood that's just full of violence or, you know, drug infested or something uh, like that. Exactly. I was going to say, and if you expand that out of your own family, if you're just in a place, like if you live in an environment where there are burglar bars on all the doors and windows, I mean, that's usually a sign of people here don't feel safe in their um, homes without having extreme protection, you know, um, or somebody who has like three, four, five deadbolts, you know, or um, what are those things called? Um, I can see it. It's like a bar that you like... Um, I know we used to have them um, like for our sliding glass doors. It's a bar that sits in the track. I mean, it's just another oh, apparatus. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. To create safety. Mm -hmm. And if you grew up in an environment or are around an environment where people are very safety conscious and it's a, something that is prevalently on people's minds, it's really easy for a person to go into a state of fear. Mm-hmm. And even if somebody's not thinking, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to get raped, you don't, a person who ends up perhaps being raped doesn't have to actually think of the act of rape. But it, I think what you're trying to say is if you're, if a person is just predominantly thinking about not feeling safe, feeling that their physical being is vulnerable, that is a matching energy to um, an individual who may perform sexual assault.
Mm-hmm. It's also possible, sure. I mean, and security is one of those things. Security is actually a relative positive compared to being attacked. Um, so is it possible to feel good about security? And the answer is yes. Sure, you can feel good about security. You, you, you can actually perhaps use that as a stepping stone away from being afraid. People do that. Now, there are neighborhoods that you know, are, are terribly crime-infested or whatever, and, and the neighborhood gets together and they take steps. And in the taking of those steps, they begin to feel more secure. And sure enough, the crime rate falls. And you know they have their their you know their their neighborhood watches and all the various things that they do. But the bottom line is they took steps to feel better and to feel safer. And sure enough, the neighborhoods got better. The key element that I think gets lost in stories like that is they felt better. That's really the key point. How do you feel? What's your predominant uh, experience with it? If you're dealing with security and you're feeling fearful all the time, well, then the security isn't actually feeling positive to you. But if you're dealing with security and it's making you feel better than you were feeling, then the security is positive. It is helpful. It just depends on how you're feeling so, about it. Let's say two people uh, go to see a movie, and it's a movie that has, um, whether it's sexual assault or crime or something in it where there's lots of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, one person might walk away from it and just not even think twice about any of the violent occurrences that took place in the movie mm-hmm. where the second person, if they already had um, a safety issue or a vulnerability issue or something where they have fear of any of those kinds of things, they could watch that movie and that movie could actually enhance the fear that they already have. And it could set way. up that person to walk themselves into um, a crime scenario of their own, especially if they keep thinking about it. So I believe what Abraham's talking about here is, in, in, in my scenario, it's like both people thought the thoughts because they were watching the movie, and they might have felt the emotion of the characters that were going through this, but one of them wasn't expecting it or even thinking about it after the movie was over. They went on to you know, go out for ice cream where the other person, when they're going out for ice cream, they're still ruminating about what happened in the movie and perhaps feeling like, Ooh, that didn't feel good. I wish I didn't see that movie because now Mm -hmm. I'm even more afraid than I was before. And, you know, that's not something that we necessarily talk about with one another. And it might not even be something that um, the person who's feeling this level of fear really realizes what its effect could be upon him or her. Oh, sure. But in, th- I in think fact, that's what, what, what Abraham's talking about. Well, what you're talking about with a movie is directly taken from the next section. We should probably just do the next section. Because okay. the, next, the next section is do entitled, it. What is my expectancy around this issue? And it says, We've okay. offered the examples of going to the horror movie, where you are stimulated <laughs> to much clearer, vivid thought through the sound and picture that is coming forth from the movie. Now you have launched the creation of this scenario as you have given thought, usually with great emotion. But as you leave the theater, you say, it was only a movie. That would not happen to me. And so you do not complete the expectancy part. Notice in your society that the more that is offered regarding any topic, the greater the public expectancy of it is. In the same way, the greater the experience of the individuals, the greater the likelihood is that they will attract it. Do not give thought to those things that you do not want, and you will not have them in your experience. Do not speak of that which you do not want, and you will not attract it into your experience. And so when you understand that then, as one who is observing others having experiences that they do not want, you are not so filled with negative emotion because you understand that they are now in the process of receiving an understanding of how all things come to them. Now, true. None of us feel joy in watching another being raped or watching another being robbed or murdered. Those are not pleasant experiences. But when you come to the point of understanding how you attract these events into your experience, you will no longer give a thought to that. And then you will no longer be one who is even seeing any of that. You draw into your experience that which you give thought to. Your television confuses it because you turn on your television, intending to have entertainment, and then newscasters bring to you those sudden news bulletins where you are told of some horrible event happening. But when it is your intent to see, no matter what you are doing, 
only that which you want to see, you will be drawn away from the television before such a bulletin is offered. And, and we actually had an experience with that very, very recently. We went to see a film. We went to see, um, what was it, Ocean's 8, I guess, the female version of the, the Danny Ocean series, right? And leading up to that film, there were probably 30 minutes worth of previews. And I would say 90% of them were violent, vicious, filled with all kinds of horrible stuff. And I'm sitting there cringing next to Louise, who's also cringing. And we turned to each other and we said, next time we're going to the theater, we're going to go 30 minutes after the start time. So we can skip all this junk because we didn't want to be anywhere near it. It was just, oh, I get that out of my life. I don't want that. That was the feeling we had. Hmm. So I wonder how it is then you did attract being in the vicinity of watching those because what Abraham's talking about here is that when you're completely keeping yourself from even wanting to view any of that, or I don't remember exactly how they said it, but that when the violent stuff comes on, that would be the moment that you say, you know what, let's go out and get some popcorn before the movie starts. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we didn't think of that. I wish we had actually. Um, but well, what, what attracted us in, I'm not sure that I could, I can definitely pinpoint it, but if I had to guess, it was the topic of the movie. I mean, the ocean movies are basically about theft. This is not exactly a pleasant thing. They turned into comedy, but it's about theft. It's about people taking advantage of each other and who can con the other guy and so forth. So we're kind of in the same ballpark already. Hmm, that's interesting. And the only difference was that the, pre the previews weren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty graphic and pretty, ugh. They were, they were just pretty nasty. Well, and, and obviously movie, um, the people behind the movies, they, you know, in the in the theaters, they try to pro provide previews of movies of a similar genre to that which you're about to see. Except they don't always do that either. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff, I, we don't go to the movies very often anymore, and for good reason, because of, of most of the movies being, in my opinion, pretty bad. But nevertheless, we do go occasionally. And if we go to one that's really a good movie, even the previews of a good movie can be pretty bad. The, the The simple fact is most movies that come out, particularly the ones that come out of Hollywood, although also the ones that come from other um, movie makers around the world, are just filled with violence and wars and attacks. And it's almost like watching a great big video game. It's clear to me that, that the movie makers are appealing to the people who like watching violent or, and playing violent video games. There, there's a direct correlation that I can see. So... I, I'm not sure that if you go to the movies, you should expect anything else. That, that's why we're saying to, our, to each other, let's just go 30 minutes late. We'll skip the previews and watch the movie. <laughs> there you go. You know, well, I don't think I've been in a movie theater for probably, I'm going to guess, at least eight years. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, it doesn't mean I never watch movies because I do have Netflix. Sure. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I do watch movies that are on television. But, oh, my gosh, I'm so, I, I guess for me, part of it is, I don't like I, I I stopped really enjoying the movie going experience. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with my ex-husband because he would get on a soapbox every time he saw a cell phone during the previews come on. Oh, <laughs> he would immediately project that somebody was going to ruin the movie experience for him because he would see the light coming from their cell phone and even though you know they they have the little announcement saying, you know, please turn your cell phones off. It doesn't mean that everybody follows the rules. And so I anticipated that, like literally the moment we sit down, I would start scanning the room for people with their cell phones. Oh, and I would just cringe. My whole body would just cringe thinking, oh, no, is he going to get upset at this? Oh, is he going to get upset at this? So sometimes there were verbal altercations. Wow. Sometimes it was, you know, storming out and getting an usher and it just kind of really took away from the enjoyment of like leaving the house and going out to go see a movie on the big screen. That's how I used to think about going to the yeah. movie. Yeah, talk about know, law of attraction. I, I, oh my goodness. Yeah, and 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 I I was starting to learn about law of attraction at the time, and I was recognizing because it was so prevalent on both of our minds as we were walking into a movie theater, every single 
movie that we did go to see and he loves seeing movies at the on the big screen so we went to them quite often but oh my gosh there'd be one cell phone two three four and it was like it was continual (laughs) then i'd talk to my friends about it and they're like oh you know gosh if that even happened the last time i went to see a movie i was totally oblivious to it and I'm like, take me into the world of oblivion, yeah, please. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the last but time I was... saw somebody with a cell phone in the theater. So, I mean, wow. it just goes to show it's what you focus on. But, wow. That's Absolutely. Really it is It is what, you know, we focused on. And so yeah. um, I wasn't a huge moviegoer anyway. But um, because, you know, that was going on. Um, we just kind of made a decision that we would start watching our movies from home and we had a big screen TV. So that was something that was very doable. Um, but it'd be interesting because if I were to go to a movie now, I want, I, I don't even know if I've, um, cleared up that energy. Like, I don't know if I'd walk right back into my first thought would be, Oh my God, are there cell phones? Well, I I don't know about the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you one thing that might induce you to want to go see a movie sometime. And that is one of the movie chains called the AMC chain, not all of their theaters, not the ones that are called the AMC classic theaters. There's, There's one particular kind of theater that they put in in some places, and I can't think what that thing is called. Um, we have one here in Plainville, Connecticut, um, which is very nearby where we are. It's assigned seating. You have to buy your seat in advance. And it's not a typical theater seat. It's a lounge chair. Oh, that's nice. So you kick back, you know, with your, like your Barco lounger kind of thing, you know, with the, the feet being up in the air and you're sitting back and you got your Seriously? popcorn. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the wow. new thing that AMC is introducing, basically bringing your living room into the movie theater. It makes a whole Seriously? different experience watching a movie in a, in a big screen. You know, so there is a plus ah. side to it. <laughs> Well, I'll have to check that out. That sounds pretty intriguing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you have a name. Well, you're in Dallas area, so there's got to be a name senior there that's got that. Oh, yeah. But, uh, probably. Yeah. But not, most of them don't. And the, the classic ones, the AMC Classic, are basically old theaters that AMC bought. So you want one of the ones that AMC built. But uh, And I can't think what they're called. But you'll know which one it is because they're the ones where the tickets are you, – you have to buy your seat in advance. And they give you like a little map showing you what seats are available and so forth. So that's oh, why you know it's like the Oh, kind of like when you one. go to a, um, a live musical. Right. Yeah, same kind of thing. kind of thing. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. But what a great way to see that's a movie. Cool. Oh, wow. It's fabulous. Cool. The other piece of advice I can give you, this is something Louise picked up on. Um, because they, they have the sound up really loud compared to the way they used to. So she brings ear protection. And that way she can enjoy it no matter how loud the movie gets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what else Abraham says here. Yeah, let's find out what's there. I, I read the last one. Why don't you do this one? Okay. So it's called, I am prepaving my future right now. When you see something in a newspaper or magazine that begins to bring forth a little negative emotion, you can immediately set it aside rather than continuing with it and receiving more negative emotion as the law of attraction is adding to the subject. But even beyond that, in this moment, as you are intending to attract unto you only that which you want, you will be prepaving so that your future action will not need to be so definite. You will not be drawn into the television. You will not be drawn into the newspapers. Instead, you'll be drawn by the law of attraction to the subject of your deliberate intent. The reason so many of you are drawn to the subjects of indeliberate intent is because you do not have deliberate intent. I like that phrase, indeliberate intent. I haven't heard that one before, but that... Me neither. Does that describe it or what? Indeliberate intent, like default is the other way we describe that, but indeliberate Mm -hmm. intent, I like that. So you are not saying often enough what you do want. And so you are attracting some of all of it. The more deliberate you are in what you want, the more prepaving you will be doing so that less action is needed to give unwanted things or to get unwanted things out of your experience. You will not be ambushed by your television, so to speak, (laughs) or ambushed by the predators of your society. Mm. For the universe will have prepaved something different for you. And that's truth. 
that is actually the way it works. It it really is about getting control of what you decide you're going to focus on, what your intent's going to be. I mean, staying away from the indeliberate intent and replacing it with a deliberate intent. And when you do that with a positive aspect, I mean, all kinds of great things happen. Well, the element here that I kind of caught as a nuance that I hadn't really thought about is that when I am choosing to be deliberate about something, it's setting the stage where for what I want, where the universe has already begun to prepave something so much so that things that don't match up with it are kind of like removed from my path. Whereas if I'm not, let's say there's something I want, but I don't give it a whole lot of thought um, or I'm just not being, cause I'm not being deliberate about it. Then I think what, what I'm, I'm getting from what has just been said in this book here is that the mixture of there's a little bit of what we do want and a little bit of what we don't want is kind of just always out there. But we, because of our lack of deliberate intent, we haven't had the universe go in front of us and remove the things that don't match up. It's funny, Instead too. You, you, you used, of, used the phrase, uh, go ahead and, and remove the things that, that don't match up to our, our wish list, so to speak, which I'm sure is, must be what happens. But, of course, that's not the way we actually experience it. It isn't like we, we, we go into this, this nice experience and it, it's so pleasant. That we say, gee, look at all the wonderful things that got removed that we didn't want to have there in the first place. Exactly. We don't experience Because we way. don't even know what got removed. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> but that, but that, and that is the specific thing that I feel like I, I caught from this reading that I never really caught before. Mm. Like I've been always, I have been aware of how the universe uh, brings to me that which I do desire, that which does match up with my intent. But it never dawned on me how perhaps there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want that doesn't match my intent. And the universe, because I have prepaid it, because I have been focused on that which I want, the universe allows us to divert our eyes from the things that don't match our, our desire. And the amazing thing is they really don't come into our experience. At all. I mean, we, we just really don't even, don't. we don't even think about them. We don't even notice that they're not there. <laughs> or if we do notice, it's because the contrast between where we're at now and where we were five minutes ago is so great that we say, wow, all that bad stuff is gone. But that's about the only time we notice it, when it's a huge contrast. If it's a slight well, contrast, you know, we barely other... even are, we're barely even aware of it subconsciously. Uh, Friday night, my sister was over, and um, as she was getting ready to leave, um, she has a, a pickup truck. And so we put the bed down on the pickup truck and we were just sitting on the tailgate, you know, having like a little bit less little conversation before it was time for her to really leave. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, the way my house is situated is our driveways in the back of the house. Cause we have alleys to access our driveways. And my neighbor just happened to come outside and it was dark. It was probably 1030 at night. Mm. And, um, you know, I just kind of waved to him and said, hello. And, you know, he waved back and I said, Hey, how you doing? And it kind of caused him to like walk towards us. And, you know, we got engaged in a conversation. Now my sister didn't know him. I introduced them. Um, but he's been my neighbor ever since I've lived in this house. So well over 10, 11 years, and I've had many conversations with him. And so I do know where his predominant energy is. And he tends to focus on what doesn't work. He focuses on negative political things. He loves to bash any political something that's not working for him and how it disrupts his livelihood. Um, he likes to bash laws that don't su support him. And he's really focused on crime. I mean, in a huge way, he's focused on crime. And he has all these no trespassing signs on his lawn, which I laugh because <laughs> I see kids walking through our yards all the time and it does not bother me at all. Mm -hmm. But holy cow, if he sees them, if I've been outside when he's been outside and someone will start to walk through. And I mean, he like reads this kid, the riot act, you know, walk around, blah, blah, blah. 
He, so anyway, he, he's one of those guys that when we, when we were growing up, he he was the one who was the man who lived in the you know the nasty man who lived in that house over there. Nobody wants to go near that place. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he has the no trespassing signs everywhere because our oh, our geez. yards are really long, so he's got them in the yard, like in the grass. He's got them on his stockade fence. You know, everywhere it can be posted, he does. (laughs) So anyway, in our conversation, he's telling me about how um, uh, the neighbor who, like, has the driveway directly behind me, how some kids had gotten into one of their cars, broken into their cars, you know, and they didn't steal anything, but they did create some damage. And then I guess afterwards walked, now here's what's funny, walked across the street if they came to my driveway, I don't have evidence of it because my car's not been broken into, right? Mm-hmm. But they went to his car, and it wasn't like they were just looking for cars that were unlocked because they actually like bent something back in his door jam trying to get in. Hmm. And so he's just going on and on and on about what a horrible thing this is, and we live in this crime-infested neighborhood which, by the way, is not my experience. Um, And so that caused him to go get a handgun. And I know because he works a night shift that on on his nights off, he's awake and he's patrolling. He likes, sits out in his, in his uh, driveway, not, not his driveway. He opens up his garage door and he's like constantly looking and he's got his gun nearby. Now, thank goodness he's never had to, like, pull it out. But that is continually on his mind. And over these, you know, 10, 11 years that he's been my neighbor, I will tell you, Walt, without fail, if we have time to have a conversation longer than five minutes, he will always, always, always bring up the crime in the neighborhood. And this is the first time he told me that story. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's another story that he used to tell me every single time. Mm. And I just know that if anybody's going to be broken into, it's going to be him. And they'll leave me alone because I don't think about it. I lock my doors and I trust it all as well. I trust that I'm protected. Now, he's got a carport, which kind of shelters his vehicle. He has one of these giant lights that if you it's a motion detected light so you come anywhere close the light goes off Mm -hmm. i don't it's dark in the back of my yard (laughs) (laughs) mine is kind of like the perfect scenario where somebody could get away with it and not be seen but his there they'd be under the light and yet they still break into his car and not mine what what a fabulous contrast that is i mean you, you, you it couldn't be more black and white than that you're living next to each other. You're in the same neighborhood. You think of the neighborhood one way. He thinks of it diametrically the opposite. You have a very nice experience. He has a very not nice experience. How much more contrast does somebody want before they finally realize the law of attraction works? <laughs> now, let's add to that. When I was married, my husband's car would be sitting next to my car on the driveway, again, in the dark area, mm-hmm. and three times. Somebody got into my husband's car. Now, he actually had a car lock that was broken, so his doors were always unlocked. But three times, somebody opened his door, just, you know, rattled around in the, in the uh, what do you call it, the ashtray and the, the console. And, you know, they stole stupid little stuff, nothing that was anything of value. But three times that happened to my husband. And nobody breaks into my car. Yeah. He had what we would call a piece of crap vehicle. I always had a nice looking car. <laughs> no one ever touched my car. And if they did, they didn't do it. And in other words, my car was locked. They didn't break in. And when my husband's complaining about his issue, and he also, he wasn't quite as extreme as my neighbor, but he also believed that those rotten kids are always out to get you. So here, he and I live in the same household. We share the same driveway, and we have two completely different experiences. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, we can't go any further because we're way past time. But we'll leave you with that thought, and we'll invite you to come back next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye for now. 